You're listening to The Nature of Photography Show. In this episode, I interview Mike Perea. Well, hello, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing good. So I found you, I think it was YouTube, and then I saw you on Vero, and I don't know, are you on Facebook and Instagram and all of the things? Yeah. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on Instagram a lot. Uh, Facebook, uh, less and less with each passing year, I feel like. Facebook, I'm kind of almost disappeared from. I, I posted a few times in the last maybe <laughs> six months or so. That's about it. <laughs> Well, the, the, um, when I went to YouTube and I'd found yours, cause I, I look at all kinds of different photographers on YouTube and I came across yours. It was the one, let's see, what was the title of that? It was the rare moment. Everything came together. That was the first mm-hmm. one that I think I saw of yours. And it was your excitement that, that really drew, I guess, drew me to you to, to see if I could get an interview is the fact that you did the, and it, you were just like a kid in a candy store. And it was, uh, it was awesome to see. Man, if, if there's one thing that makes uh, nature photographer go crazy, it's the fog for sure. Especially us down here in the Southwest, just because we don't get it very often. You know, it's the, just the conditions don't ever line up for it. So when it happens, uh, we kind of lose our mind and, and, and run around like chickens with their head cut off. Oh, yeah, I guess it's mostly just dry air always there. Yeah, and the ground is just solid rock pretty much. So there's not a whole lot of uh, soaking in the ground and and, you know, a lot of moisture in the ground itself. So when it happens, it rains for a few days and so the dew point lines up with that temperature. And then, and like I said, it's maybe once a year, if oh we're lucky, if we average it out. Yeah. Sometimes it'd be two or three times, but then it, it's, you know, I think it's happened twice so far this year. It's about it. That's uh, I, I know for me, I, I live close to the Everglades and there for a while when I was in Homestead is about five miles from the park. And you would think that you would get fog all the time there, um, but it was it was still a rare occurrence. Now, hmm. if you went often, you would several times a year you could find fog, but it just never seemed like the days that I went that it was there. But I couldn't imagine in uh, Arizona how uh, how difficult it would be and how excited I would be oh, if yeah. I'd gotten fog there too. So, um, all right, so that's how I found you. And then I found John Vero and uh, we started chatting a little bit. You agreed to come on the show. Um, I'm not sure what you were thinking, but you agreed you're here now. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Uh, how did you get into photography initially? Uh, initially uh, I kind of fell into it and I fell into it later in life too. I was 35 years old when I bought my first camera. It, it, came from just the love of being outdoors. I've always been, you know, hiking, fishing, hunting, you know, camping, all that kind of stuff growing up. Uh, my family all did it and, and a lot of traveling. And from there, that, that's always been my first love. And that's what my photography has always been based out of. It's just the the love of nature. And so I don't do people photography or anything like that. <laughs> I, it, it's everything outdoors, animals, landscapes. And it just, it, it all started from there. Uh, and I don't even, I, I can't even remember why I decided to buy a camera. I remember I went, I was Googling, like, I didn't even know what a DSLR was. And I just kind of Googled what the best camera was at the time. And it happened to be a toss up between, uh, you know, I read a couple of different blogs. It was like the Nikon D3300 and then the Canon equivalent or whatever. And I think a couple of the blogs had said like the D3300 was a, just a little bit better on something. And I'm just like, all right, I'll just buy that one. And I've been with, you know, <laughs> Nikon ever since. And and as soon as I bought it, like I, I had, I think I bought it on Amazon and as, as it was being shipped to me, I went on and found YouTube and I found actually, uh, it was Joshua Cripps. Oh uh, yeah. I've had him very, on the show before. Yeah. yeah. yeah he's, um, oh, he's awesome guy. Super entertaining. And just, he's the first one that I found and man, I just, I was into it. I was looking at what F-stop was and what shutter speeds and <laughs> aperture priority and all this stuff. So by the time I got the camera, I was already like, all right, I'm shooting an aperture priority and then this, you know, I can't shoot an auto and, and all these things. So I just, and I became absolutely obsessed with it just right. I mean, immediately right away, you know, blending the, the creator and, and something that I never was really I felt myself, I wasn't a creative person, you know, I couldn't draw a stick figure to save my life. Right. And I just, but I feel like that's something that I've learned, I guess. I think you can learn to be creative. I don't think it's something that you definitely are born with, or, you know, there's some people who are some people who just have it, 
Uh, right. I wasn't one of those people, but I really feel like you you learn some things and and you can kind of grow from that base of of learning maybe some rules like the you know of course we get the rule of thirds and all that kind of stuff. But you know, I, I surprisingly this has been my creative outlet. You know, I, I finally found it later on in life, but uh, yeah, it's been nice. It's been a you know quite the obsession since then. No, I, yeah, I can I can totally uh, relate. I am not a creative individual at all. And that was always something that I had to work for. The technical part came pretty easy. You know, read a book, mm -hmm. kind of understand what the camera does and what it's really looking for and how you mm -hmm. can manipulate that to get what you're what you want. But I didn't even know what I wanted. You know, some <laughs> some images I would look at. And I'm like, I really like that. And then some I would look at and I yeah. have no idea why I like it or didn't like it. And Yep. It's been a an absolute fight for me, creativity wise, to um to to really grow as a photographer. I think that's mm -hmm. that's always my difficult part. I, I'll call it the Jekyll and Hyde photographer. You've got to be both. You've got to be Dr. Jekyll and, and get all the creativity right, but you or the uh, the technical right, but you got to be uh, Mr. Hyde who does everything emotionally. And right, so right. it's it's where science meets creativity, and it can be difficult. Uh, for some folks out there, some, it comes real easy. Some are mm -hmm. really creative and they do amazing things, but it's technically horrible. And uh, then right. some are like me where you, you get it technically right, but you look at it and it's just flat. It's not a great image or anything. So it's the marrying of the two worlds. And, and, you know, for me looking at, at how you got into photography, that's great because you love the outdoors and that's what you loved. So the, camera was an extension of what you love to do and you get to show people the things you love and that's that's awesome yeah and, and that's that's a, that's an important point you brought up is once you learn the why i mean it's easy to learn the what and the how but once you learn the why why you like something why you don't what what catches your eye and, and why it catches your eye and how to how to to work with that i think that's one of the most important questions when you start to grow as a photographer you know you learn the kind of how to's and what shutter speeds and all the the technical stuff and focusing and focus stacking and exposure and and histogram and all these things that are technical but i think once you learn the why it it really opens up a lot of things you know with your own creativity and and finding your own voice really in 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 photography is is answering that question so I, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, you like landscapes do you also do wildlife photography I do not nearly as much as I have wanted to this year. I'm hoping to change that, but I, I've done some, not so much on YouTube, YouTube. I it's mostly landscapes. I've done some commercial uh, wildlife work for a, a local, my, the greatest job I've ever had was a commercial project for a local golf course. Uh, we got to photograph Chris and I went out and for three days, we had to photograph the wildlife on the golf course. And we'd done some other work for the golf course as well. Just photographing the course itself, you know, which is essentially landscape photography. Um, but they, yeah, they, they hired us to come shoot the wildlife and there's bobcats and coyotes. Cause it's right in the, in the desert. You know, there's like, I think we saw three different bobcats. Wow. Um, in the three days. And then we saw some coyotes, we saw ospreys, we saw, you know, there's hawks and, and cardinals and all kinds of birds and everything. So it was, man, that was a, that was a dream job for sure. So yeah, I, I definitely would want to do more of it. And I'm, you know, the hardest part I think is buying the lenses, but other yeah. than that, you know, I have the 100 to 400 Nikon now, which is a great lens. It's, it's an okay wildlife lens. Uh, the variable aperture is kind of rough on, you know, low light stuff. But one of the things I really want to do this year is, is do more of that for sure. Yeah. You know, you hear it said all the time that the gear doesn't matter. Well, you know, the, the newsflash is for sports and wildlife, the gear absolutely matters. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can do great things with, you know, not the top of the line gear and that's fine. But if you really, really want those amazing images that you see in the magazines and on TV and all that stuff, then you're going to have to fork out a lot of money for those high end lenses. Um, you know, oh, that's, and, that's and that can sure. be frustrating when you're looking and it's like, oh, that's a $14,000 lens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, buy a new car, it's, buy a lens, you know, it's right. really, it's, uh, it, it's intensive and that's okay. Uh, the 100 to 400 is on my list as well. And, and that'll do for the kind of wildlife photography that I'll, I'll probably do. So that one's fine. 
you know, and we can always rent lenses if it comes to it. That's, that's a big thing too. And that's before I buy any kind of big piece of equipment like that, I always rent it just, just to make sure that that's what I want. And, and, uh, it's, it's a much cheaper way. If you only use a wildlife lens, you know, once or twice a year, then it makes sense to rent it when you go use it. If you have a trip to, you know, Yosemite or something or the Everglades or something like that, then I would definitely just rent it because, Oh man, that's yeah. A cheap lens, you know, is you know five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars for a, a wildlife lens, you know, six hundred, five hundred millimeters. Yeah, I'm looking at the the Nikon four hundred four five. Oh um, yeah, yeah. And, and it looks really, really good. It's also twenty six hundred dollars. So. <laughs> yeah, yep. But I, I think that that's probably a pretty good sweet spot if you want to do some wildlife photography. You know, if you're mm-hmm. going to be a full-time wildlife photographer, you're going to need more than that. But right, for, right. for those of us who love landscapes, but also do wildlife, that's a great lens too. Yeah. Um, and there's some budget ones out there that are pretty good mm-hmm. though. You know, the Nikon, the 200 to 500 is like, I think it's around $1,100, brand new $1,200 or something like that. It's yeah, it's pretty, pretty cheap compared, you know, as far as wildlife lens goes, that's pretty cheap. Yeah. And it's a great lens. I rented it with my D850 when I had that a couple of years ago. And man, that's a, that's a fantastic lens. For a good and price. I was very happy to hear that Nikon is going to start letting third party companies uh, do their lenses. So the stuff that yeah, Sigma and Tamron put out, I'm, I can't wait mm-hmm. for them to start um, getting some stuff out for the Z mounts. So yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, do you like teaching some folks I've heard are, you know, really good photographers or they're really good YouTube personalities, but they don't really care for people much. How about you? <laughs> I do like teaching. I like teaching from a distance. I like, <laughs> I like, I, no, actually I, I take that back when I've, you know, I, I ran workshops before 2020 and yeah, me too. The actual workshops themselves, being on the workshops in those few days that I'm there, I have such a blast, you know, meeting these, you know, these people. And I've stayed friends with a lot of them and, uh, you know, still chat with them and stuff. So that part, teaching, being hands-on right there, I do actually love that a lot. But I also, landscape photography for me is a very individual, I don't call it a sport, individual passion of mine. So I, you know, it's either me or me and my wife will go out and it's just very much a, a very personal thing for me to do. So being with a bunch of other people, I mean, I, I enjoy it, but I prefer, I think just to do it on my own. So I like to teach, but I like to make videos about teaching and and I love the feedback that I get from it. I love that uh, people are learning things and they're applying it and they're telling me how it changed their, you know, their photography or that, that kind of stuff is absolutely just, it blows my mind how it's just such a good feeling, you know, to have people say that. And I, I do love that part of it. That's great. I, I've I've tried the videos before and I'm I'm going to keep chugging along at it. I'm pretty terrible at doing doing the videos. I don't, I don't know what it is. Uh, back before COVID, you know, I had the best year I've ever had in photography and I went from that to $0, you know, and that yeah, was a pretty hard hit. I had to shut yeah. everything down and it just started, you know, it took me a while to get things back. But the more I think about the, the workshops, I, I love teaching the workshops and I wish I could do that on the videos, but I can't. I love... Uh, teaching, but I, I have trouble staring at the the little you know camera <laughs> looking at you, and then somebody walks by and they kind of give you that side eye. You know, if you're in a place oh, where there's yes, a lot of people, yes. and I'll clam up there and all that stuff. So when I see people like you that that do an incredible job of these videos, uh, I'm envious of of you being able to do that, and I think it's great. I think it's we need more people like you out there that have such passion for it, that, that are good teachers that are in good locations that teach photography the way it should be. And I, I love it. So. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's definitely something that I've had to practice at. I was never very good at it starting out. I was really rough around the edges and I would mess up a lot and I got good at editing. Let's put it that way, because I just speaking to the camera, isn't something that came natural to me. Some people are just great at it. I've seen people, I have friends of mine, uh, Brendan Benson. I'm not sure if you know who he is. I see him like in his videos, walking through like the middle aisle of an airplane, just vlogging, just talking away, like no oh problem. Yeah. And I just, I can't even fathom doing something like that. Like I'll be on a trail or something. I'll make sure I get off the trail a little bit. And if someone walks by, I'll just stop or I'll pretend, you know, if they catch me in the act of holding up the camera while I'm walking or something, I'll just pretend yeah. like I'm doing something else. You know, it's, it's I don't I, I, yeah, I have a hard time. I'm bad enough that I actually made 
my wife and son go upstairs while I did this <laughs> yeah. interview. So that I didn't have them either walking by or looking over my shoulder. So I, I, yeah, I totally understand. If I could be out in the middle of nowhere without anybody around, then I think I'd probably be fine. But if, if there's going to be another soul within a hundred miles of me, they'll find me. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one quick uh, little tip for you. I got a secret for making YouTube videos, especially the teaching yeah. videos is script writing. That, oh, has saved, that. that has saved my life. I mean, it, I still like, if I start talking to the camera, if I don't have it written out, at least a general idea of what I want to talk about, I stumble through a lot of it, but script writing has helped. And then I have a teleprompter that actually goes over the lens of the camera. So I'm looking directly at the lens, but the letters are coming up, you know, and I can read everything and it's, I can have a little remote that stops and starts it. So I, so I, I can go through and I can just record the whole video and I'm just, you know, the writing part of it then is the challenge because you don't want to sound like you're writing something. You want to sound like you're having a conversation. So right. that's also another challenge in itself. But yeah, script writing has been a game changer for me and it just makes things, makes editing easier. It makes talking easier. You know, you know what you want to say and you can change things up. You know, sometimes it takes a little <laughs> bit longer to write out the script, but yeah, uh, it works out better in a video when you can be clear and concise and deliver a, a video with just a, a single idea and you know because a lot of times we kind of go off on the tangents whenever we're just talking like a you know normal conversation right in a youtube video that doesn't work you know you don't want to <laughs> just talk about random things because people don't watch and youtube's a completely different monster when it comes to the content compared to photography you know that's a whole different skill uh i've been fortunate enough to have my wife she works for a couple of big youtubers she's an editor now and seeing how they work uh, outside of the photography niche and they're just machines, man. It's wow. incredible watching them pump out videos and how good they are at, at their, and everything is calculated And they, you know, from landscape photography, when we would go out, like do a, a normal vlog, we would film ourselves walking and walk by the camera and then film ourselves pulling out the camera. And we talk about our composition. We don't really know what we're going to find when we first go out there. When we start walking mm -hmm. out to photograph something, we don't know what we're going to find. Right. But that's kind of the backwards way to do it from a YouTube sense, YouTubers, they think of the thumbnail and the title first and the idea, and then they write out an intro and that intro has to be like 10 to 15 seconds. You need to find out, you need, viewers need to see within that first 10 seconds, like what you're there for. Is this my video? Is this, wow. you know, somebody who knew who's watching a video, if you're just kind of rambling off for the first 30, 40, 50 seconds, you know, a minute, minute and a half, and you're just not really getting to the point, they're off. And you can see that in the analytics, man, they're gone. Wow. So you have to be just, everything's got to be calculated. You have to have an intro. You better be concise on what you're about to talk about. And you better just keep there the editing and just, oh, actually, it's a different monster altogether. It's, uh, it's pretty painful. wild. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not as easy as just turning on the camera and start talking. That's for sure. There's a lot of work that goes into that video. Yeah, the the script writing I had never considered or I thought about it. I'm like, nah, it's all right. I can talk through it. So the first couple of times I tried to do videos, I'd, I'd spend 15 minutes doing a video, make a mistake and then stop and scrap it and start over without mm -hmm. uh, doing any type of post-processing or anything to, to make it work. And finally, eventually, after way too many times, I finally realized I can splice and cut and all that kind of stuff. But mm -hmm. yeah, the, the video is difficult. I, the, the script writing, it's... All of that is difficult, but then you toss in what you're talking about and trying to keep them on the page or on your video as soon as they click on it. That's a whole nother beast. You know, yes. like you said, being concise up front and exactly what they're there for. And if if not, they're, they're gone in 15 to 30 seconds. That's it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You had your chance. We would have we would be looking at analytics, you know, and it's something that as a photographer and as a creative it's not that attractive, right? That's a part right. of the the work that it's just, it's not it's something you want to concern yourself about, right? It's just the yeah. stuff you have to do. But it, if you want to grow and you want to make good videos and have people watching and watching all the way through, which YouTube is a pretty simple concept. You want people to click on your video. You want them to watch the entire video and you want them to click on another one, right? It, it's a simple mm -hmm. concept, but it is not easy at all <laughs> because you'll see in your analytics, like we would see where if I talked, if I just showed my talking head without any B-roll laid overlaid for more than like 20 seconds, people would click off and you would see the graph go down, a viewership just drop. Wow. Or if Chris and I got on at the same time, people knew people were conditioned to see that that was the end of the video. So they would click off right away before we even said anything. We would just, they would see us both and they would be gone. Like that was it. Wow. 
And there's just, there's little things like that. If you use certain words, sometimes people will just click off or you just certain things that happen. Like it is amazing looking at the graphs and seeing people's viewership drop off. And then looking at, you can see at the point where they drop off, you can watch your video. It shows where they drop off and you can see why you can see what you're doing. You're like, man, they don't like that at all. Right. So next time, maybe I shorten this up or maybe I put some B-roll over it and quicker cuts, you know, and it got to the point where Chris and I now, she still looks over my videos sometimes and it's like, nope, you got to put something here. You got to cut this. You said this twice. Don't do it again. She cut this out. And it's just, wow. yeah, if I repeat my, which we all repeat myself and say, if I give a tip mm -hmm. and then I give it again later, she's like, nope, cut one of them out. <laughs> because it's because they if they hear it again they're off you know what i mean they're you start repeating yourself they're gone yeah yeah wow. the youtube audience is a very very fickle fickle beast <laughs> <laughs> but they always leave wonderful comments right they do for the, for the most part they yeah. do it's it's the vast majority is extremely positive that's, that's right uh, but i just had a youtube short which i don't usually make too many of those. I think I made like two or three of them just because I'm not into the short form content, but I made a YouTube short about focus stacking and it, it went viral. I think right now it has a little over 500,000 views and I made it like a month ago, but the amount of comments on there that are negative are, uh, <laughs> it's rough, you know, it's rough. You got to have thick skin. That's for sure. You Cause there are, there are people that you know, the bigger you get and the more views you get on your videos, mm -hmm. there are going to be the people out there who, who have something negative to say. And I was watching uh, Nick Page, who I chat with every once in a while. Uh, he had a video about leaving Sony and going to back to Canon. Oh, yeah. And he had to take it down. He had to take it down because there were <laughs> so many bad comments. And people just, they they do not like when you ch when you change, uh, you know, brands. And there's the, the tribalism is real in the photography world. That's, that's right. Sure. It is. It is. It's not just, uh, you know, cameras or lenses. It's computers. What computer do you use? What pro yeah. program do you use? Oh, yeah. It's Apple versus PC. It's Chevy versus Ford. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's always that way. It's uh, the Bills versus, uh, I, I don't know, some <laughs> other Patriots football team. Probably, yeah. <laughs> <Patriots>. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. It's it's it, People, I think, don't realize sometimes, and this is a social media thing in general, people don't realize that it's a person on the other side of the camera there. It's not, you know, we're not just, yeah, it's easy to dehumanize people with a lot of subscribers and views and people who are kind of have a public profile, but you got to yeah. understand that it is people that are making these yeah. videos and they're putting a lot of work into it. And, you know, it's, uh, it can be rough sometimes. I, I, I don't know if you're like me at all. It happens with the photos that I'll put up where I'll put up a photo and you'll have a hundred people that love it. And you'll have one person that has some negative comment. And of course, yeah. which one do I focus on? That's is that one exactly negative comment? The, oh yeah, absolutely. That's the one that you're, you're later on in the day, you're like at the gym or something, or, or you're doing, <laughs> making dinner and you're just thinking about it and it's making you upset. I, uh, it happens. Absolutely. It, yeah. it's, it could be 99% positive, but that one negative comment, it's going to, it's going to eat at you. It's just, it's. Yeah. What, what I'm trying to do is uh, the industry that I work in outside of photography is, is very critical industry. And we always take the feedback with in the spirit that it's given, you know, someone gives feedback, they're giving it for a reason. So try to look at that and not the individual. And, but that's much easier said than done, of course. Um, mm. But I had a video where I did, I, I got the Z9 this year and I, I did a Z9 video and I put the video up and a few people liked it. You know, I, I don't get a lot of people that, that go and look because I don't do any of those um, smart things with YouTube. I just, just a talking head, but mm. I, I put that out and a few people liked it. And then you had one person that wrote this big, long review about how I was just regurgitating what other people had said, and they can go on anywhere to find it. And on and on and on. I'm like, wow, this person just spent half an hour of their life talking about how bad my video was. Of course, I ignored all the others and that's the one I focused on. But the more I got to thinking about it, the more I realized that I can, there's some things out of what he said that I can take and I can mm -hmm. make myself better. So those negative comments, yeah, they hurt sometimes because everything we do is a, is a personal thing. Uh, at least for me, you know, photography is very personal. So whenever someone has bad things to say, I, I get defensive, but it's that oh, yeah. one person, but you know, try to take it uh, with a grain of salt and try to learn from it and move on to the happier comments. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's as a, as a creator, you definitely have to separate someone who's just being a jerk from somebody who's <laughs> got something maybe negative to say, but they have a point and maybe it's something you can, you can, you can fix or change or make better or yeah. improve on for sure. Absolutely.
Yeah. So uh, we've been talking a lot about these videos. How did you get started in them? What, what made you decide, hey, I'm going to make a video of this and put it up on YouTube? Well, it started out just a way to, to share my trips, my hikes, you know, with family and friends. And they would watch, you know, I get three or four, 10 views or something on it, you know. <laughs> uh, but more people started to watch and and people who found my channel that just share the passion of going out and, and improving their photography. And I wasn't teaching at the time. It was more just uh, flailing around with a GoPro and and talking about random stuff that I had no idea what I was talking about at the time. I've, I started YouTube almost almost immediately after I just got into photography, you know, and it was wow. just about me learning, you know, and, and it grew from there into, I, I started to kind of get my foot or just kind of find my footing in photography and, and starting to improve a little bit. And then people started asking questions and I would answer. And then I would kind of do things on, on, on the video as far as sharing things that I was learning and things that I knew, but it changed when I made a video called, learn Milky Way photography in five minutes. Oh, uh, that video, it started off like a normal video, but uh, about three months after I released it, I was actually in Colorado and I was driving back and uh, I stopped to get something to eat and I was looking at my phone and all of a sudden I realized that the video was just, it was, it was hitting like 3000, 6,000 views, which was a lot for me at the time. Yeah. And it just kept going and going and going. I think it reached in that first year, it reached like over a million views. Wow. It just, yeah, it went crazy. And I got a bunch of subscribers from that. And then I started kind of really realizing like, okay, wow, this is, uh, this is something. So I started to actually right after that, I took a break. I took a break. I was like, man, I was watching it, but I, I, you know, they're doing some life changes. So I didn't really, uh, uh, took a break from YouTube, but then I got back on it again and, and started really going towards being serious about making videos, you know, really diving deep into, you know, thumbnails and titles and and subjects and helping people and teaching and, and these kind of things that people were really loving about this video that I had made. You know, they loved the fact that you could just learn something so easily, you know, a five minute yeah. video, you can learn how to take you know photos of the Milky Way. And I got a lot of positive comments on that. So I wanted to keep helping people. And that's kind of what started my YouTube channel as far as teaching and stuff. Right. How long have you been doing the YouTube thing? I started in 2016. Wow. So not, yeah. uh, it's eight years, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. If, well, eight, almost almost nine. It'll be nine yeah. this year. Um, and you have, I'm looking right now, uh, 47,000 subscribers. Yeah. It's so crazy. <laughs> oh man. I, it's, that's a, that's a big number, you know? And I mean, on a YouTube scale, maybe not so much, but just for me, 40,000 is a lot of people. I mean, imagine talking on a stage with 40,000 people in a state, yeah. you know what I mean? That's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> wow. See, I, 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 I'm really close to where you're at right now. I think I've got 62. Oh, see, I'm, 62, I'm not 62,000 dogs here. I'm running with the big dogs. <laughs> that's right. No, congratulations on that. That's fantastic. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. It's, it, it's been a wild ride for sure. It's uh it's something I never thought, you know, when I first started out, it was just something for fun, you know, and, and as I started to grow and realize that I could take this a little more seriously then yeah, 40,000 is something I just, obviously it's a dream of everybody's, you know, like, oh yeah. man, I'd love to have a big audience, but. Oh man! But then you have a big audience, you know. <laughs> then you have a big audience, yeah. But also, I want to say this: that having a big audience doesn't necessarily mean what people think it means on YouTube, right? right? Like, it's it doesn't translate into hey, I can quit my job now and go go full time <laughs> as a YouTuber. That's that's I, I wish that's how it works, but no, uh, there's, there's a lot goes into that with the views and stuff like that. You know, my YouTube ad revenue might pay for my gas for one month, if that. You know, luckily, <laughs> you know, people do people think that you have 40,000 subscribers that they're full-time YouTube. No, it doesn't no. work that way. <laughs> no. Yeah. It takes a whole lot more than that. I mean, you could start doing coffee videos like Peter McKinnon and, you yeah. know, probably make a killing, but, um, <laughs> right, right. I guess I think that's what he does full-time now, but it's such a rare thing. That's, that's the dream everybody thinks of, oh, I'm going to mm -hmm. do YouTube and I'll make enough money. I can quit my day job. And then, you know, but the reality is that, that becomes your day job and right. you know, that's it's hard work. work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. And yeah. you go from working at nine to five to working, you know, five in the morning till five at <laughs> night, right. if not longer, it's, there's a lot of work involved yep. in, in YouTube rather than just, you know, making a video and posting it online. It's, it's a lot of work for sure.
Yeah. Well, like I said, congratulations. That's awesome. I'm glad to see oh, you've got you. the following that you've got in your videos. They're, they're just fun to watch, you know, and, and you do an excellent job of speaking and teaching and getting excited and it's, it's clear. And I just, uh, after I stumbled on it, I'm like, how in the world did I not see him before? Um, but I'm glad I found you now. So oh, that's, that's uh, Vicky. Thank you very much. That's very kind. Yeah. I, so all I those negative it, comments so. will be from me now. So you, you'll <laughs> right, start yeah. seeing those horrible comments. <laughs> right. You got to quit. Sell your gear. Yeah, that's right. You are a terrible YouTuber. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I still have fun making videos and that's I'll keep making videos as long as I'm having fun doing it. I do take breaks once in a while though, just because yeah. I think you need it. Sometimes you do get burned out. I think every mm -hmm. YouTuber ever, even for just, even non-YouTuber photographers, I think if you do it too much, you know, you, when you first get into photography, I think for the first few years, you just eat, sleep, drink yep. photography. You listen to every podcast out there. You're watching every YouTube video out there and you're learning everything. And, and, uh, then you go out and you're doing it and then you're thinking about it when you're home, you're planning vacations around it. Yep. I think, I think everybody kind of goes through some burnouts, if not once, maybe several times throughout their their photography journey for sure. And uh, I, I definitely with YouTube, it's um, how can I say this? It's an added stress, I guess you would say um, mm -hmm. trying to go out to make videos. You know, there's definitely a pressure there with, with making videos for your audience, you know, being there for your audience and doing that, whatever it is, weekly or monthly videos. And then trying to get a photo. So now you're pressured to get a photo or maybe the video <laughs> doesn't work or something, you know, so there's some added uh, pressure there that maybe doesn't need to be sometimes. And that's one thing I need to get better at too, is just going out without making videos and trying to improve my photography. You know, it's not just about me going out and teaching and sharing with, you know, my experience, which is great, but also maybe doing it without the video camera rolling, just going out and, and really experimenting and trying to, you know, broaden my own photography you know, and, and get a little more creative with things. And it's hard to do that when you're trying to make a video. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard of Rick Salmon. I've, uh, mm -hmm. I've talked to him a few times. He's been doing it for 40, 50, 60 years. I don't know. It's been a very long time that he's yeah. been doing this. And I asked him one time, how do you get out of being uninspired? You know, when you get to that point that you're burnt out, you don't feel like doing anything. And his, his uh, advice was to just keep shooting. He's like, just keep shooting. Even if it's just a little bit here and there, he said, whatever it is that's stressing you out, just push that away and kind of get back to what it was about photography that you love to do. And I was like, ah, that's a, that's a load of horse stuff. You know, <laughs> that doesn't work. So I, I just ignored it and I kind of went down a deep hole there. And uh, eventually I finally, my wife said, you know, you, you, we live here in Homestead. I'm from Tennessee originally, but we lived in Homestead, Florida. And she goes, you ought to just go out here and shoot what, what we've got here. And, uh, I was like, yeah, okay. So I kind of started that and that, that revitalized everything. Cause I got out and I started shooting like he told me to do. Uh, and it, it was, it was, pretty awesome. So yeah, yeah if you're one of those photographers that, that you're in a funk right now, or you're not inspired or you're just burnt out and you don't want to go, it's okay. It'll pass. Um, because I know for me, this is part of who I am effectively. So it's something I'm always going to come back to and something I'll always find interest in. Um, but there may be down times and you can probably hear that on my podcast where I don't have a podcast for a, a couple of months sometimes or, or whatever, but it, they'll eventually come back cause I, I find it. So if you're one of those uninspired photographers, just keep shooting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Shooting. Absolutely. And yeah. switch it up too. You know, like yeah. I said, that's the great thing about being a nature photographer is if landscapes are, you know, you're kind of getting over it for wildlife, man, I got a riparian reserve right here by my house that. I go down to and, you know, get herons and egrets and, and, and all these beautiful animals here. And actually funny enough, you're very familiar with this animal. A roseate spoonbill just showed up here oh, a couple yeah. of years ago and we don't have those here at all, but all of a sudden it just showed up one year. Now I think there's a couple of them. Uh, it's been here in the past couple of years, but it has eluded me. I've been there probably, <laughs> I don't know, two dozen times in the last couple of years and I have yet to see it, but I see it all the time online. People are posting and I think there's a conspiracy against me photographing the, the spoonbill, but yeah, yeah we, switch, we, switching it up, switching it up is always good. You know, wildlife, astro, landscape, do something different. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, if you're one of those weird people that like to take pictures of other people, then, you know, that'll, that'll (laughs) help as well. I I tried the wedding (laughs) photography and the portrait sessions guy for a while. And that just, uh, that was not going to (laughs) work. Nope. I have no desire. I tried uh, family portraits once and I did a a wedding for a buddy (laughs) of mine and I just have zero desire. It's, you know, like I said, my, my photography is always based in nature and that's where I love to do it. So it's not just having a camera in my hand all the time, taking pictures of everything, street photography, all that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't have that desire for that. I mean, Mm -hmm. I would probably do it if I had the chance if someone was with me and Hey, you want to do some street photography? But yeah, maybe I guess, but for (laughs) me, it's, it's always based in, in nature and my experience in nature. That's where the love starts. And that's, that's where it ends. Right. I just, for me, people, nope. Yep. (laughs) Now, if, uh, I think from what I'm understanding here is if you didn't have a camera, you'd still be outside enjoying nature, doing those things. Absolutely. That, that is my first love. And that's something that like I said, I I'll go on a hike, you know, Chris and I have been hiking a, a lot more lately without the camera. And that's something that, that we love to do a lot. And that's just get outdoors. You know, if I don't have the camera, if I could only pick one, it would be just being outside and being outdoors rather than having a camera. That's fantastic. It's always get back to what, what made you fall in love with it. Yep, you know, that's, absolutely. uh, and, and for me, I grew up in East Tennessee. So I grew up around the Smoky mountains, uh, that was Sevierville. Those areas were, I don't know, maybe 20 miles from my house. So I grew up in the national parks there and it was, you know, I was always outside and that's what, that's why I wanted a camera in the beginning. Yeah. Um, well that, and because Peter Parker was also a photographer. So, <laughs> right. you know, that, that's why I wanted it at eight, at eight years old, but right. still, it was always being outside. My first photographs with the camera were outside, you know, and, uh, sometimes it's nice to leave the camera home and just go. If you do that though, just know that the best conditions you've ever Absolutely. seen will be, that is the law of the universe right there. <laughs> that's a, a tale as old as time. I left my camera at home in the greatest light that ever ever was it happened right over walmart <laughs> best guy i've ever seen but yeah that's that's just that's it for me is, is is nature man i i don't know if you guys listening have ever been around like close to an elk when it's bugling you know early in the morning you got yeah. frost coming out you know you can see its breath and and you know i was probably the closest i've been to an elk was when it bugle was probably maybe 30 yards and you could feel it in your chest man it it was an experience that i'll never forget and that's something that i i live for especially with wildlife is just those little moments where it's just you and and the animal or you and nature you know and that's what i tell people when i was running workshops is don't forget to look up from the back of your camera you know, yes. don't experience things through the back of the camera, look up and realize what you're looking at here and just enjoy it for a second, you know, and, and, uh, those beautiful moments, man, I'll never forget. And that's, that's where my love is, is born out of is those moments right there. And if I have a camera, great, you know, and, but it's, it's, it boils down to just being in nature. I find myself doing the same thing. I have to force myself sometimes to stand up away from the camera just to enjoy the moment. Um, because you get there, you get your tripod out, you're getting all your gear and you're going haywire and uh, what's your settings and what's happening, the light, and you just get lost in the camera. And while that in itself is fine, uh, sometimes, like you said, you you miss the moment. So just step back, enjoy what's happening around you and uh, mm-hmm. If you happen to be by yourself and alone in the wilderness, that's all the better. At least it is for me. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I there was times where I would be upset if I was out somewhere without my camera and had this beautiful, colorful sky. And I'd be like, oh, I cannot believe I'm out there. Now I just, I enjoy it. it it's okay. There's going to be another great. one at some point. And, but it it can be hard, too, because you're like, oh, man, I was out yesterday and there wasn't a cloud in the sky. And now today... You get the greatest sun, sunset ever, and I'm in here looking out my window. Yep, it, talking so. to me. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> glad I could help. Right. <laughs> All right, we we've talked a lot about everything. So you're a Nikon shooter, it sounds like. I am, yes. And are you a Nikon shooter because that's what you started with? Yeah, it just happened to be yeah. the first camera that I bought, and that was it. And my wife's different, you know. She shoots Canon. That's kind of the same way with her. She just bought a Canon, and that's we just like it. It's great. They're, they work just fine. They take pictures just like every other brand. So yeah, it's, I started in Nikon and just no reason really to leave. I did actually buy a Sony, uh, one time when I was trying to upgrade my video camera, I bought the Sony a seven three, I want to say. 
and it was it was okay but i i didn't like the menus at all and and i just the z6 came out right after that so i just i traded in about that i just i didn't like the sony just because i was used to the nikon you know i mean i'm sure it take the photos were fine the video was great there was no wrong with it really i just i used nikon i liked it so i you know thought i'd try something else didn't like it so i just came back yeah the i actually did this well not not the same i did the um kind of both feet in the deep end of the pool kind of thing. So I've been with Nikon since 2001. Uh, in 2018, I up and decided, ah, that's it. I want to go mirrorless. So I'm going to go all Sony since Sony is the king of mirrorless. And that's all right. what all the YouTubers said to go to. <laughs> so that's what I went to. I sold all of my Nikon gear and went to Sony. And it was a great camera. It shot the images. It did everything it needed to. The I didn't like the files as much, but they were easily you know i could massage them to what i wanted without an issue uh great resolution beautiful camera does great autofocus everything and then i would get blisters on my finger when i would hold it because it mm -hmm. would rub on the lens and it just didn't feel great right. and I, I decided you know what i'll just go back to the z62 and i sold all of that gear and went back to Nikon and boy, let me tell you, that is expensive to sell all yes, your gear to buy is. and then to sell all that gear. <laughs> oh was, man. My wife in the beginning, she's like, you just need to stay with Nikon. I'm like, ah, <laughs> anyway, I'm, yeah, I'm hey, almost to where broke, I got right? my lenses back. So, right. Yeah. If it's not broke, don't fix it. You know, I, I have the same, yeah. I, that's kind of the person <laughs> that I am though. Like if I find something at a restaurant that I like, I'll just order that every single time. Every time. Same, you know what I mean? It's same thing with Nikon. It's if it's not broke, you know, don't fix it. It, it does great. great. So uh, which one do you currently shoot with? I shoot with the Z7 II uh, okay. now, as far as my landscape camera. And then I have the Z6, the Mark one, the original version mm -hmm. uh, that I do all my video and time lapses and things like that with. So. Oh, I'd like great. to get that Z9. That would be a nice one to get. Yeah, I ended up getting it early this year, like in February, I think it was. I got my hands mm. on one and uh, nice. it's been, it's an incredible camera. I think the sensor for the Z7 II is a little bit better than the sensor that's in the Z9 as far as being able to pull out everything. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, it's a, a incredible, incredible camera and the autofocus and all that stuff is great for wildlife or whatever. I do, uh, I do portraits for my kid plays hockey. So I do hockey mm -hmm. team portraits okay. once a year, just as kind of a, a courtesy to the organization, that kind of thing. Ah, nice. And it, you know, it's great for that kind of stuff too, but that's a bit overkill for doing that, those kind of, things. <laughs> right. um, right. but you know, I've got the Z six too, as well. I kept mm -hmm. it when I bought the Z nine and I, I love it. I, I think they're great cameras and you go on YouTube and know there'll be a huge swath of people they just absolutely hate it. They rail against it for whatever reason. You know, oh, it's terrible autofocus. It's terrible this. It's terrible that. But in reality, it's as good as um, the DSLRs that I ever had. So if if you yeah, can take a photo it's... with a DSLR, you can take a photo with this. I promise. Absolutely. And that's one thing that I guess I would say I don't like about YouTube is, you know, the videos get clicks are the ones that are either controversial. <laughs> you have really right. strong opinions, you know. So if you have a Sony and you're reviewing an icon you have to you know and and also there's always that the money changing hands right sony's right. or somebody's sponsoring your videos or they're giving you free gear or whatever it is you know youtube yeah. if you have any piece of equipment more than like a year or two that's that's a long time because people are always constantly <laughs> trying to send you new gear uh for, for me like i've shot benro i've shot the same tripod since i i think 2017 i have a giant benro tripod it's the 48 cxl and i get comments every time i show it in my videos what oh. tripod is that and I've, I've been shooting the same one since 2017 and nice. that's a lifetime for youtube right it's a right. year or two because we're you know i see people switching backpacks every year because people are sending <laughs> out new backpacks every time you know the companies that are you know sending out a new you got a new product they send it out to the youtubers you know new filters new new everything you know so i that's uh something that unfortunately youtube fosters a lot is those strong opinions and if something is good that means everything else is bad you know and that's part of that tribalism that that people you know if you give an opinion on a, on even if it's kind of a lukewarm opinion on something you're gonna you're gonna hear about it in the comments for sure the gear videos right. are they do great but they also uh they test your <laughs> they test your therapy for sure <laughs> so yeah i think one of the best advice i give to everybody is just shoot what you got i i it, it's gonna make a great photograph yeah, you know, any any camera, honestly, you can take. I could, 
I could go out right now and with the $300 DSLR, I could use my original Nikon D3300 and the Tokina, what was it? The 11 to 15 beautiful lens. I, I <laughs> took some amazing photos. I could print that, you yeah. know, 24 by 36. No problem. It's a 24 megapixel crop sensor camera with a $300 lens. You can go out and take, I mean, I could take terrible photos with that one, just like I can with my Z7 too, right? Like, I, <laughs> Especially yeah. for landscape photography. Now, obviously, when it comes to wildlife and sports, you have some autofocus things that obviously mm. a nicer camera right. is going to make it easier to take these photos, but that's, you don't need that kind of stuff. I mean, it's great to have it. It makes it easier, but I could go out and do sports with a Nikon D500, you know, and yeah. a 200 to 500 lens. That's a $1,500 setup right there for lens and the camera. Go out and take great Absolutely. photos. Absolutely. Or bad ones. <laughs> or, or bad ones. Yeah. Or bad I, ones. I've taken some really bad photos on that Z9. I can tell you that much. I could take that 200 to 500 and put it on my Z7 II and take terrible photos with that too. <laughs> I have. Trust me. <laughs> you know, back, I started back in the film days and they always said the difference between an amateur and a professional was the size of the garbage can next to the light table. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Absolutely. We take a lot of bad photos, man. Oh yeah. I've I've taken a whole lot more bad ones than I have good ones. There's no doubt. By far. Still every day I'll take, I'll come home with a hundred photos and I might get one or two out of them. And actually I just made a video (laughs) kind of my yearly wrap up of, of I like to roast my worst five photos and, you know, talk about my top five photos, you know, and uh, I take bad photos all the time, you know, most, and I, I, people are surprised when I tell them this. So I'll take, and I'll show video, you know, photos in my video, I'll maybe 30, 40 photos, whatever, however many videos I make throughout the year, I'll show a bunch of photos. But at the end of the year, however, the amount that I actually add to my portfolio, mm-hmm. maybe three, four right. at the most. Something that I saw a controversial guy, uh, David Yarrow, he said something once, and aside from the controversial stuff that he's done or is accused of doing, one thing that he said that I like is is his photos that, that stand the test of time. That's like one to two per year, you know, and that's wow. something that I think I feel kind of the same way. And I fall in and out of love with my photos a lot. Like I'll love a photo <laughs> when I take it. But then a week later, I'm like, that is yeah. terrible. Right. So throughout the year, I might end up with three or four photos that I'm absolutely still in love with. And I'll put on my portfolio. But that's that's about normal for me, I think. And, you know, that's a, that's a great way to improve your photography. And as your photography improves, you know, you're, you're going to scrutinize your own work a lot more. Um, yes, absolutely. And, and that's great. Uh, you know, it's holding yourself to a higher standard and, you know, there's a lot of good things that can come out of that. So. Yeah, well, absolutely. What are your plans for the future? I mean, are you going to keep making videos or uh, what are you doing? Yeah. So I, I'm definitely going to keep making videos. Uh, 2022. Uh, the last three years, actually, I haven't got out nearly as much as I had had, you know, had gone out before, uh, you know, 2020. So this next year is definitely going to be a lot more just out shooting. Great. Uh, I'll be making videos, of course, but I have a, some big trips planned. Well, Chris and I are going to Patagonia again in April. So that one wow. we are super excited for. That's actually how we met. We met uh, signing up for a workshop in 2000 and was it 19? Yeah, 2018 was the one with Thomas Heaton and Brendan Vanson where they did the workshops in Patagonia the second year they did them. Oh, yeah, I did see that. So we signed up together. Well, not together. We both signed up for the workshop and then we started chatting online and that's how we we met. And we ended up, (laughs) you know, coming out to see each other. She was living in Switzerland and then she would come out to see me and I'd go out to see her. And then, you know, we ended up meeting finally. um, Well, that was you know, the workshop was how we had, had met. So fun. You know, we, yeah. by the time we were on the workshop, we were already together and everything. Wow. Which was pretty interesting. So, <laughs> so you, you had flown out to meet her and she'd flown to meet you before the workshop even. Yeah. So I have, wow. you know, I, and I still have a normal, you know, I guess call it nine to five job. I do shift work. So I only work 14 days a month. So once a month I would wow. fly out to her to Switzerland or she would fly here or we would meet in like Iceland or we met in Rome one time. Or, and wow. then we, of course we met down in, in Patagonia for the workshop. So for that first year that we dated, it was just us going back and forth, you know, every month or so to, to see each other uh, for about a week. And then, yeah, and then we got to the workshop. So we're finally heading back after, you know, three, four years, whatever it is. We're finally going back to Patagonia for, for fall colors, which, oh, man. Oh, that's that that's on my bucket list, Patagonia in general, let alone fall colors. So, man, yeah, that place is, it's 
you know, Iceland's great. I've, I've been to Iceland mm-hmm. three times. I, I absolutely love it. I love that place. But Patagonia is a different animal altogether. That place is the wildest place I have ever seen. It is the weather, the landscape, the animals. It's just, it's a wild, crazy place. And uh, yeah, it's trip of a lifetime for sure. Yeah. And uh, when are you going to do that? So that'll be the end of April. Uh, I think the last two weeks of April, just just into May, first few days of May, I think we're going to be there. Everything closes down right around the first of May down there because that starts their winter. And it's just, it's almost uninhabitable. I mean, all the hotels and the restaurants and everything shut down in the beginning of May because just it's the weather there is so bad. I mean, it's bad all year round, right? The winding, the wind there is makes Iceland wind look like, you know, a slight breeze. It's, <laughs> wow. It can get pretty crazy down there. But uh, that's usually what makes the best photos, right? That's right, yeah. Crazy, crazy conditions. So, yeah, that's what we'll be down there for that. And then I, I've got another trip, Monument Valley, coming up in March. Um, San Diego, actually, uh, next week we'll be in San Diego uh, doing some seascapes. That's one thing I want to do more of, too, is seascape photography. Seascapes. <laughs> Wish we could do more of that. Yeah, and I, I live like five miles from the beach or so. So, uh, But we don't have those kind of seascapes you know, that the West coast has. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that um, big Sur coast is probably my favorite. Yeah. It's a beautiful have, have you been up to Oregon? The Oregon I have, coast? Or? You know, I, when I first got into, I think the first two years of my photography, I think I made it up there one winter, man, like Bandon area and, and, yeah. and Brookings and down there and then up to Cannon, Cannon beach and all that, man, that's a beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah. It's on my list too. I'm going to death Valley next week. So ah, that's nice. Yeah. I only got three days, but I got three full days in death Valley. So I plan to, to use that time as wisely as I can. I won't yeah, be doing any lot. videos because I'm terrible at those, but uh, <laughs> hopefully there'll be some photos coming out of it. No, that's awesome. That's a, that's a fun place to shoot, man. That is uh you know, it's, it's such an interesting place. You wouldn't think, you know, Death Valley, you know, it's going to be a, a landscape photographer's paradise, but man, that place is amazing. Excellent. Well, Mike, I want to thank you for taking the time. I mean, we've been on for almost an hour oh, and nice. uh, it's been a, it's been a great hour. So thank you very much for taking your time to to talk with me and to talk to everybody that listens. No, thank you very much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. And I had a lot of fun on here. And I, I want to wish you the best of luck uh, for Patagonia, for all that you plan to do, for your videos, for everything that you've got going on. And I want to wish you a very happy new year. Thank you. Thank you. You as well. All right, everybody. That is the end of this episode. And as always, get off the couch, grab your camera, escape, explore, and create. <laughs>